Today's scripture comes to us from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it with fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you that we can come before you as your people. And we humbly acknowledge that um, that none of us deserve to come into your presence. So we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has made a way for us into your presence. Father, as we delve into this passage together, speak to us now. It may encourage us and may remind us not only of the hope that we have in Christ, that the, the fact that we have been invited in to your kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that is coming, but may it also remind us of the love that you have for people like us. So God, bless this time and use me this morning to declare your truth and be with me, Lord, that I may be able to communicate your word with clarity. Thank you for this time in Christ. Let me pray. Amen. This morning, we will be taking a closer look at the life of Zacchaeus. And as we delve into this passage together, I would like for us to consider three things. Number one, what Zacchaeus saw. Number two, what Jesus saw. And number three, what the crowd, what the people saw. That in mind, let's jump into the first point together, what Zacchaeus saw. Who was Zacchaeus? I think that's not, it's a good question for us to ask as we delve into this passage together. I mean, verse 2 tells us that he was a chief tax collector and that he was rich. I mean, he was filthy, filthy rich. And during those days, people absolutely hated tax collectors. Do you know why? Because they often lied and cheated people out of their money. And do you know how they determined their own income? If the government told them to collect a certain amount of money, whatever extra they collected, that amount became their income. So whatever extra they were able to collect, they pocketed for themselves. And as you can see, I mean, this profession was driven by greed and selfishness. But verse 2 tells us that Zacchaeus was not just any kind of tax collector, but that he was a chief tax collector. A commentator named Daryl Buck, this is what he writes regarding Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he stands at the top of the collection pyramid, taking a cut of commission from those who collected taxes for him. As a result, he was rich, filthy rich. But because of it, he was hated by everyone. He was public enemy number one. Did you know that the name Zacchaeus actually means righteous one? 
But unfortunately, his life didn't really reflect the meaning of his name. When we were thinking about, you know, what should we name um, our daughter? Uh, Back then, we had a name. um, I think I shared this story with you guys. We had a name, but it was taken by a friend, um, and that person made it a Facebook official. So, like, what do we do now? (laughs) So so we uh, decided on Maya Zoe. Uh, Maya in Hebrew means spring, and Zoe in Greek means life. So if you put that together, her name means a spring of life. And it was our prayer and hope that she will grow up to be a woman of God, whom God will use to bring life to the people around her. Someone that God will use mightily for his kingdom and glory. And I'm sure when, you know, Zacchaeus' parents, when they were holding him, you know, they named him Zacchaeus. I, I, I'm willing to bet that they were hoping that he would grow up to be a righteous one. But as you can see, uh, and especially because of current uh, situation in his profession, you know, his life doesn't really reflect the meaning of his name. He was hated by everyone. You know, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Zacchaeus, as, as we are told in verse 3, was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was extremely curious and wanted to see Jesus for himself. Perhaps he already knew a lot about Jesus. And some commentators actually argue that it is possible that Zacchaeus had already heard a great deal about who Jesus was from Matthew, who also known as Levi, who happened to be one of the 12 disciples whose profession was a tax collector. So it is possible that for those reasons, that he was seeking to see and meet Jesus. Now, verse 4 tells us that he ran and he climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. Now, why did he do that? Why did he have to run ahead of the crowd? And why did he even have to climb up a sycamore tree? Why not just be part of the crowd? I mean, verse 4 tells us that he was small. I mean, verse 3 tells us that he was small in stature. He was short, and he was unable to penetrate the crowd. So even though during those days, I mean, it was extremely rare for a man and a wealthy government official to run. I mean, climbing up a tree, I mean, that's just unheard of. That would would have been extremely frowned upon, right? But we see Zacchaeus running ahead of the crowd and and climbing a sycamore tree so that he can see a glimpse of, of Jesus. And he does this, why? Because he was curious. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But I do believe that he was also desperate. As you can see, he wasn't able to penetrate the crowd to see Jesus. I mean, it is true that there was commotion and a lot of people had been following him. But considering his status, the fact that he was probably one of the the wealthiest men in that town... I mean, it's kind of ironic that he wasn't able to get the best seat in the house. He wasn't able to have direct access. I'm sure he could have afforded to have direct access to Christ, but he couldn't. So for these reasons, he ran ahead. And for these reasons, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Christ. But then the fact that he was unable to penetrate the crowd, this also reveals something deeper about Zacchaeus. John Nolan a commentator, um, and he writes this regarding the situation. Despite this man's wealth and official power, he is quite unable to penetrate the crowd. He is clearly a social outsider whose littleness in the eyes of others is more than physical. 
for obvious reasons, he was filthy rich. I mean, he was a chief tax collector. He cheated people out of their money, and in doing so, he got wealthy. I mean, he had been living comfortably. His life was filled with luxury. I mean, whatever he wanted to do, he did. And he had access to everything he ever wanted. But he was hated by everyone. He was rejected by everyone. As you can see, he was an outsider. No one wanted to befriend him. He couldn't even penetrate this crowd. They didn't let him. And in the eyes of everyone, he was a notorious sinner who was so unworthy and unlovable. And to them, he was a nobody. So he had all these possessions, and he was probably the the wealthiest person in that town, but he felt so alone and empty and rejected. And as you can see, he had been searching for something that would address the emptiness within. In his book, Defying Grace, The Surprising Message in the Mission of Jesus, the, the author writes this. He claims the sting of exclusion and the craving for inclusion are universal. Why is that? Because we have been created for community, to do life together in community. We were never meant to be alone. And this is what Zacchaeus had been missing. Zacchaeus wanted to belong. And this is why he ran ahead of the crowd. This is why he even voluntarily climbed up a sycamore tree, hoping that by meeting Jesus, that, that he would have, be able to, to address this emptiness within. Now, that leads me to my second point, what Jesus saw. Now, Jesus does something remarkable here, and, and it's going to catch everyone by surprise. You know, even though Jesus is surrounded by a large crowd, and a large crowd had been following him ever since he entered Jericho, but in his mind, I mean, there's, he's thinking about this only one person, Zacchaeus. Did you know that the sycamore tree in which, you know, we see Zacchaeus climbing in order to see a glimpse of Jesus, even as that tree was being planted hundreds of years ago, do you know who God was thinking about? God was thinking about Zacchaeus. So as he enters Jericho, the only person Jesus is thinking about, and he actually had been waiting for this moment patiently, is Zacchaeus. And now Jesus unexpectedly calls him out by his name in front of everyone. You see Zacchaeus hanging from a sycamore tree, and he calls him out by name. Zacchaeus. Now, that catches everyone by surprise, and especially Zacchaeus. And this was a pleasant surprise for him. And I do believe that it's been a while since he had been called by his name. Because of his profession, he was probably called many different names. You know, Dale Carnegie writes, Names are the sweetest and the most important sound in any language. And I do believe that it was so refreshing for Zacchaeus to actually hear his name being uttered, not just by any person, but Christ himself, whom he came to seek. And I'm willing to bet Zacchaeus was wondering at this point, how does he even know my name? And why is Jesus calling me? He's probably wondering. 
But at this moment, the crowd that had been gathered, the crowd that had been following Christ through the streets of Jericho, they're probably so happy. In a sense that, ah, Jesus knows who he is, that he's a chief tax collector who had been lying to us and cheating us out of our own money. I mean, this is his judgment day. Zacchaeus is going to finally get it, and he fully deserves it. You know, elsewhere in Luke chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, when tax collectors actually came to Jesus to be baptized, and this is what Jesus told the tax collectors. You know, teacher, what shall we do? And Jesus said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. So Jesus very well knew that this is, there was a common practice among the tax collectors. But here we see Jesus calling Zacchaeus by his name. And this is very important. You know, there's a song that I sang often um, during high school after becoming a Christian. It's a song called, He Knows My Name. If you grew up, if you went to church in the 90s, I'm sure you sang this song. Anyone? He Knows My Name? Yes. I would like to read you the lyrics. Um, I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. You know, we tend to think that salvation is just about going to heaven, getting into heaven. And that after accepting Christ, we could just do whatever we want with life knowing that in the end we will end up in heaven. But I do believe that salvation is so much more than that. I mean, Revelation 20 reminds us that our names, if you put your faith in Christ, put your hope in him, that our names are actually written in the book of life. And I do believe that there is a personal and relational aspect to salvation. Why? Because it involves having this personal and intimate relationship with Jesus who knows us intimately, by name, and loves us perfectly in spite of our sins, brokenness, imperfections, and shortcomings. That we're called to walk with him on a day-to-day basis, to have this intimate relationship with him. You know, the gospel reminds us that we are fully known to him, but yet perfectly loved by him. He knows each one of us by name. And what does that tell us? That he loves us uniquely. The love that he has for his children, every single one of us, is unique. But not only that, he desires to have this intimate and personal relationship with you and me. You know, after calling Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, he tells him to come down. But what does he say to Zacchaeus afterwards? He says, I'm going to crash your house today. I'm going to go to your house today. I must stay at your house today. So notice how Zacchaeus responds, verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So something remarkable happened here for Zacchaeus. Jesus not only recognized him when he was hanging from a sycamore tree, he actually called him by name. But not only that, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house today, and I'm going to stay with you. He befriended 
Zacchaeus. And he said something that deeply resonates with Zacchaeus. I'm going to stay at your house. He had this huge mansion to himself, but no one wanted to come over because no one wanted to associate themselves with Zacchaeus. But here Jesus says something that deeply resonates with him. No, I'll go to your house. I'll spend time with you. And here Jesus shows that he is indeed a friend of sinners. Here we get a glimpse of why he came, his mission, which is mentioned in verse 10, right? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, obviously Zacchaeus can't believe what is happening. I mean, he responded joyfully, but get this. Here he gets so much more than what he had initially wished for. He just wanted to see a glimpse of Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to spend time with you. There will be intimacy, and you get to do this at your house. But there is something remarkable happening here, and I want to draw your attention to that. Here, Jesus is pursuing Zacchaeus in love. And on the surface level, it looks like, you know, Jesus is the one who is being invited in. I mean, he himself invited him to, to Zacchaeus' house, but there's something um, so much more taking place here. And get this, that Jesus is not the one who is being invited in. And Zacchaeus will soon realize that he is the one who is being invited in. He is the one who receives a gracious invitation to the kingdom of God. And Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus, but it was quite the opposite. Jesus was the one seeking Zacchaeus. And the gospel reminds us that, that we have been befriended by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The gospel reminds us that none of us, when we were so undeserving and unworthy and unlovable because of the finished work of the cross, that we have been invited into the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. So as we, hear, as we see here what Jesus is doing for, for Zacchaeus, we see a glimpse of his mission, and we see a glimpse of the beauty of the gospel and his finished work and what that means for you and me, that we have been welcomed in, that we have been invited in. It's not because we deserve this. It's not because we can buy this. not because we can earn this or afford this. It's purely by grace, love, and mercy. Now, notice how Zacchaeus responds after encountering Christ and being invited in to be part of his kingdom. Verse 8. Now, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, and since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As you can see, Zacchaeus addresses Christ for the first time as Lord. This is his confession of faith. Lord, now I belong to you. All that I am, all that I have is yours. And then the fact that he tells Christ, if I have defrauded anyone, I pay them all back fourfold, and half of my possession I give to the poor. 
because he realized what God in Christ had done for him and what that meant to be invited into his presence, to be invited into the kingdom, what it means to be a child of God. The fact that now his identity and worth is not grounded in how much money he has, but then the fact that he can call Christ his Abba Father. I mean, that's all it meant. That's all it mattered to him. So we see him responding immediately. And that was his radical response. With a confession of faith, Lord, and he also repents. And it's, it's clear that he gets it. What the kingdom is about, what the kingdom living is all about. I mean, up until this encounter with Christ, for Zacchaeus, I mean, life was all about money. Accumulating more possessions. I mean, from a worldly standpoint, he had a life that, that, that people would have, you know, would be so envious of. Because he was filthy rich. Surrounded by comfort and luxury. He had everything he wanted. He did everything he wanted to do, right? But after this encounter with Christ, everything changes for Zacchaeus in an instant. And this is a radical response, right? But this is what the gospel can do for broken sinners like Zacchaeus and for you and me. Remember what happened to Apostle Paul? On the road to Damascus, Saul met Christ. And what happened? From that moment onward, his life was never, ever the same again, right? And what was his confession? Which he says in Philippians 3, right? I used to live for these things. This was me. I mean, for Zacchaeus, it was money. I mean, for Paul, it was his accomplishments and the things that he had inherited. That was his identity. But after meeting Christ, he says, you know, this, this is garbage, rubbish. I don't care about these things anymore. Radical transformation, radical response, right? Remember what happened to the woman at the well in John 4? After meeting Christ, this radical transformation, what does she do? She went back to town and to the very people who hated her because she couldn't contain this love of God. So she went and told everyone about Christ. And this is what happens when you encounter Christ. Your life will never, ever be the same again. And we see this happening over and over again as we read through Scripture. It's a radical transformation and there's a radical response. What about you? Do you know what it is to be befriended by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when we were so undeserving and unworthy? Have you had an encounter like the one similar to Zacchaeus in this passage? Do you know what it means to be befriended by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to be invited in to his presence, to be invited in to his kingdom? to be able to have access to his presence, does that mean anything to you? I mean, let's be honest. We all as broken sinners, you know, our tendency is to run from God. None of us by nature run to God. I mean, we see that happening starting Genesis 3 onward, right? Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they hit, they ran from God. I mean, that's what we do by nature. And we struggle with our wandering hearts, right? And as, as Isaiah 53 makes it very clear, you know, all of us, we have gone astray. 
But God is the one who pursues us in love so that he can befriend us. But not only that, through the finished work of the cross, to let us know that, yes, you have been invited in. You have been welcomed in to the kingdom. And that's the message of the gospel, right? Now let's jump into our last point, what the people saw. Verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Here we see the Pharisees. I mean, they're the ones who are religiously devout. They live by the law. They thought they were the the holy people, right? I mean, we we see them grumbling here. And why is that? Because obviously they don't agree with what Jesus is doing. They don't agree with Jesus' words and actions. And and what he is actually doing and saying, it makes makes them extremely uncomfortable. They were bothered and offended by his words and actions. And in anger and frustration, this is what they say. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But do you know what they're actually saying with that statement? The Zacchaeus, yes, we know that he is a notorious sinner as a chief collector, but we are not sinners. And Jesus here is identifying himself with a sinner. He's associating himself with a sinner. Why is he doing that? He shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be hanging out with sinners. Now, Dane Ortland, in his commentary uh, called Defying Grace, the surprising message and mission of Jesus, this is what he writes. Jesus' community is counterintuitive. Those whom one would expect to be in are excluded, and those whom one would expect to be out are included. The inner ring is inverted. I think this is the beauty of the gospel, right? I mean, if you read through the gospels, we see Christ spending time with those who have been marginalized, those who have been rejected by the society, especially the Pharisees, right? The ones who are labeled as worthless, unholy, unclean. But those are the, the people that Jesus actually spends time with and changes, transforms, and redeems, right? Here, Jesus shows us a glimpse of what his kingdom is about, the inside-out kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. And on the cross, I mean, let's not forget, he became an outsider for us so that we can become an insider in his kingdom. And this is the beauty of the gospel, right? I mean, this is what the Pharisees, the crowd, the failed to see. Why Jesus came. And what he was actually doing for Zacchaeus. They were the only ones missing out. Why? Because they're spiritually dead and blind. And they failed to see this. And I do believe that this has implications for you and me as Christians as we will continue to live in this broken world. Let's turn to John 17 verses 14 through 19. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I'll read from verse 14. I have given them to your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in 
truth. Notice how Jesus prays for his people. He doesn't say, God, take them out of this world because this world is so evil and broken and I want them to stay away. I want them to avoid this broken world. He doesn't pray that, but how does he pray? He prays specifically that, yes, keep them from the evil one, from this world, but he specifically prays that we will be sent into this world, right? And this is what the Pharisees failed to see. Because for them, living a holy life meant, number one, living by the law, obeying the law as perfectly as possible. And also, a second part of that was avoiding, distancing themselves from broken people. Sinners whom they consider because that's how they thought they could maintain a holy life, a life that is pleasing before God. I mean, this is why in frustration they called out Jesus. It's like, why is he going to Zacchaeus' house? Doesn't he know that he's a notorious sinner? But get this. Whoever came in contact with Christ throughout the course of his life and ministry, they ended up becoming clean. They ended up becoming alive. Their lives ended up becoming transformed, empowered. And God sent them out into this broken world as his witnesses, as his living testimonies. And this is what the Pharisees failed to see and failed to realize. In his book, Transforming Mission, David Bosch writes this, Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. Mission is thereby seen as a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument for that mission. There is church because there is mission, not vice versa. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people. Since God is a fountain of sending love. You know, knowing that we ourselves, first and foremost, have been befriended by the King of Kings, who became an outsider for us, that we can become an insider in his kingdom. I mean, that has to grip our hearts first, right, the beauty of the gospel. But that also means that we are called to do the same, to follow Christ's example, to befriend those around us, the ones who have been marginalized, the ones who have been rejected by society, the ones who feel so unworthy and the ones who appear so unlovable, the ones who do not have a voice, the ones who have been cast aside by society. Jesus is saying, go to them. Befriend them. Embody the message of the gospel. Tell them about a savior who is able to make them an insider of his kingdom because he himself became an outsider for The sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed up to see a glimpse of Jesus, it had been planted strategically for Zacchaeus. And as that tree was being planted, God thought of Zacchaeus hundreds of years before. Now, I want to challenge you to think about the relationships that you, that, that you already have from your workplaces, for your campuses, the specific people whom God has placed strategically into your lives. Perhaps God is challenging all of us to befriend them as we embody the message of the gospel so that we can become Christ to them, so that we can point them to Christ and remind them of the hope that we have in Christ.
I think Tim Keller is absolutely on point when he writes this. If the church does not identify with the marginalized, it will itself be marginalized. That is God's poetic justice. You know, it's easy to to talk about the gospel. It's easy to worship God, you know, on Sundays when we come to St. Paul's Chapel, but, but what about Monday through Saturday? You know, when I was in Thailand um, a few years back, um, as we were getting ready to go back after our debrief, the missionary actually challenged us, and this was his challenge to our team. I mean, he was saying, isn't it so easy to share the gospel and to, to live for Christ when you're on short-term missions? Because you come to a foreign land, you don't speak the language, you don't know anybody, so your, your image and reputation is not necessarily in jeopardy. And for two weeks, you go all in. But what about when you go back? Isn't it so much more difficult to live out your faith in your workplaces, in your campuses? But it's so much easier when you come on missions. You know, why is that? Why is there a disconnect? You know, I want to challenge you to think of it this way. You know, we come to, we, we gather to scatter. You know, you've heard, you know, PJ talk about this many times. We gather um, to worship uh, our God and to be reminded of the gospel and what that means for us. But that also means that we don't stop there. We, we scatter and go to the places that God has strategically placed us so that we can be a blessing to the people whom God has strategically placed in our lives and around us, right? We're called to befriend them. And as you leave those doors, I want to challenge you to remind yourself that you are entering the mission field. I want to show you this picture. That as you guys leave through these doors, as you come every Sunday to worship together with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but as you leave these doors, I, I want to challenge you to remind yourself that you are actually entering the mission field so that as we see what Christ has done for Zacchaeus perhaps he has strategically placed those around you so that you can bring the Zacchaeuses in your life to him R.C. Sproul, he writes regarding the life of Zacchaeus, and this is what he says. Scripture is silent about the future of Zacchaeus, but church history is not. The Bishop of Alexandria, Clement, whose writings exist to this day, mentions in one of his homilies that Zacchaeus continued faithfully in the growth and nurture of the Lord and served Christ to the end of his life with distinction, being elevated ultimately to the role of Bishop of Caesarea. So this little man who climbed the tree to see Jesus left the lucrative money-changing tables at the crossroads leading to Jerusalem and became a spiritual leader in the church. Why not take the leap of faith and ask God to be with us as we, with courage and boldness, befriend the people around us? Who knows how many more Zacchaeuses that we will see and how God will use us during that process to deepen our faith and love for him. But not only that, to lead more people to Christ. And this is what happened to Zacchaeus. Life utterly changed from the inside out. And after having, you know, gone through this radical gospel transformation, you know, this is what his life came to be. He treasured Christ and he lived for Christ. You know, let's do that. Let's ask God to help us so that we can be part of this process. Brothers and sisters, we have been befriended by the king. And he's calling us 
to befriend those around us for his glory and for his kingdom. Let's remain faithful to that call. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you so much for your mercies and your grace. And thank you that you are with us, Lord. Father, we know that that you have strategically placed us in our workplaces, in our campuses, Lord. And there are many people among us whose lives resemble that of Zacchaeus. And Father, I pray, Lord God, that as we remember when we were so undeserving and unworthy and how you have befriended us, as, as we remember that, Lord, May the beauty of the gospel compel us to live in a way so that that we will willingly and lovingly and intentionally befriend the people around us for your kingdom and for your glory so that we may be able to see more Zacchaeus around us coming to know you and living for your glory and your kingdom. Father, if if we haven't been faithful to this call to be more intentional about living missionally, um, living with with the gospel intentionality, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. But at the same time, we ask that would you help us, would you enable and empower us to continue to embody the message of the gospel so that we will live in such a way to point people to you who is our living hope. Father, we cannot thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, and we just praise you for being who you are in Christ. Let me pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship God as we give our tithes and offerings. If this is your first time visiting us, please do not um, feel obligated to give.